This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 583 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. I gotta get my Miraclo fix. Outside the bubble, too many super teams, sending messages in comic form, two tales from Tom Zaylor, and celebrating superwomen. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, January 16th, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. One Star Squadron, number two of six, by Russell, Lieber, and Stewart. Mark Russell's superhero-slash-gig-economy mashup continues. A drug dealer is hanging out on the street. (sighs) You should have learned to fly a helicopter, Trevor. When a man comes up to him, it's Minuteman looking for a Miraclo fix. We learn he was a government test subject, which was where he got hooked. And then one little congressional hearing and they cut you off. When he loudly complains about the $300 cost, I used to get them at the pharmacy for 50 The dealer replies, I know you're new to this and all, man, but drug deals is supposed to be quiet. He offers a copy of his superhero movie on DVD, made just after 9-11, and the dealer reluctantly accepts it as a down payment. Back at Heroes for You, Red Tornado announces a security gig, which just happens to cover the cost of the drugs. Unfortunately, he thinks Minuteman is not up to it. Please don't bring the movie into this. He offers him a birthday party instead. During all this, Power Girl is bad-mouthing Red Tornado to the rest of the employees. At the birthday party, Minuteman tries to convince the dad that he's an actual hero, showing him a selfie of himself with Superman, who looks dubious. He pulls out his Miraclo, lifts a car, and hands out hammers for the kids to hit him. Unfortunately, the Miraclo is bogus and only lasts him 47 seconds, leaving him badly injured. Minuteman goes back to the drug dealer to complain, and another customer, who looks homeless but went to law school, explains what an unenforceable contract is. Meanwhile, Plastic Man and Firehawk are on the security gig involving an app developer meeting with Lex Luthor. Of course, Lex has hired his own muscle, Sportsmaster, and an unnamed lumberjack. They were hired via the Hench app. Wow, they only take 5%. When Firehawk notes that it's just for villains, Sportsmaster replies, Yeah, but at this point, is there really any difference? The four of them stand around and drink vitamin water. Later, Red Tornado is berating Minuteman over the fiasco. They canceled their Heroes for You account and suggest he take a break. Instead, he gets another gig at a Comic-Con signing autographs at a booth. 
Mark Russell and Steve Lieber, who are the creators of this, are signing next door to him and mention the spread in the VIP lounge. Minuteman goes in and is quickly escorted out, but not before seeing the guy who played him in the movie, who is an actual VIP. He calls Red Tornado from Comic-Con detention, and when Red Tornado reluctantly says, I'll come and collect you, Power Girl pulls a coup. We think it's time for a change in leadership, and the board of directors agrees. Just loving this book. Not All Robots, number five of five from AWA Upshot by Russell, Diodata Jr., and Lafridge. This dark comedy just went a lot darker. We begin outside of Bubble Atlanta and a group called the North Georgia Patriot Army who are fighting over a pile of trash. Two mandroids monitor the situation while discussing air fresheners. They hit a button and the drones blow up the militia. Back in the main story, the mother is in front of an AI-based court expected to plead her case after she killed Snowball the robot. Self-defense is not accepted under the Algorithmic Justice Code, so the potential productivity of a robot versus a human is weighed. Surprise, the computer picks the robot and finds the mother guilty. It also notes that people were replaced in society by robots because if we hadn't, you'd all be dead by now. Human society was breaking down, so the robots took over to save them. It's not our fault that you're the most ungrateful hamsters in the world. The sentence, banishment outside the protective city bubble via a tube. Afterward, the father feels that justice has been done, while the kids decide to leave as well as look for mom. Even the mandroid grandma goes with them. Later, the neighbor, feeling bad, leaves his mandroid wife with him. Outside the bubble, the family determines that mom went south following the train tubes. They also find a small boy living in the trash. This leads to pages of them walking through a hellscape of abandoned buildings. At one point, they are held up by the Florida Freedom Faction, who want their toll paid. They kill the Grandroid and are then neutralized by Snowball? Turns out the small boy wiped his memory, so he has no idea what happened out of the last five minutes. He doesn't remember his family at all. Snowball survived his destruction and was also going south toward Bubble Orlando, where obsolete robots have been massing. The family joins the robots in Orlando and end volume one. AWA Upshot is a minor publisher, so I'm not all that hopeful we will see a volume two anytime soon. But I certainly wouldn't mind a volume oh, oh, two. I'd love to see it, but yes. I, but small publishers always do this. <laughs> And yeah. then they go, oh, well, we just never got around to doing volume two and the public and the creator moved on and all that. Mm-hmm. Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes, number one of six by Bendis, Godlewski and Cody. Brian Michael Bendis finally gets his versions of the League and the Legion of Superheroes in one title. The cover is interesting in that it includes Superman, who's not in the issue. John Kent appears, though. Perhaps he's coming later, post-War World? Anyway, we begin in the 31st century and Gold Lantern of the Legion of Superheroes. This is titled The Gold Lantern Saga. He's discussing things with a big old monster, noting that the lantern has brought him the gift of friends. And here comes the LSH all quipping away in their best Bendis ease. When they attack the monster, there's some sort of cosmic effect. And when it's over, one of Triplicate Girl's bodies is gone. Is this going to be Bendis' take on her becoming Duo Damsel? Cut to the United Planets meeting where the Legion gives their report on the impending Great Darkness with very little detail so far. 
RJ Brand remind them of their primary goal to usher in a new age of heroes with the question, what would the Justice League do? Cut to the 21st century, and the League's wrapping up a fight with the Legion of Doom, Captain Cold, Solomon Grundy, Gorilla Grodd, and Black Manta are knocked out in front of them. Now this is Bendis' League, Green Arrow, now funding the Legion since Bruce's fortune is gone, Naomi, Bendis' creation who just got a CW series, Black Adam, Hawkgirl, Batman, Black Canary, Aquaman, and Wonder Woman. Diana, now returned from the hole, sacrificing herself to jumpstart the universe deal in Dark Knight's Metal. There's more Bendis quipping, and then a cosmic effect, and the League is whisked away, where they meet the missing triplicate girl, now 100 years old. Bruce decides to contact John Kent about all this because he's a member of the Legion, and eventually the League, if future state, is to be believed. Back to the LSH, Triplicate Girl is debating about whether to merge or not. What would this do to the other body if it's still alive? John Kent arrives, asking a few of them to return with him to the 21st century. He comforts Triplicate Girl, then they're off with what seems like all the Legion. They meet the League in front of the Hall of Justice, wasted in a half-splash page. That should have been a double-splash page. Come on. The Triplicate Girls see each other, embrace, and then are shocked about the age difference. If they merge now, will their ages average out? Who knows? There's a quick meet and greet, and then a discussion of the cosmic event. Is this related to the Great Darkness? Speaking of that, another cosmic event occurs, and Gold Lantern finds himself alone in the Hall of Justice, wasting two whole pages for this. That's where you should have used those pages. Mm. When each event occurred, we get the same dialogue. Did did we do something wrong? This isn't because of, yeah, this must mean something. Bendis is great at setting up scenarios and stories, but not so much bringing them into a satisfying conclusion. I'm guessing this will be one of those. Also, there's a reason the League and Legion rarely meet. You have to go back to an early 80s JLA crossover for that. There's just too many characters to cover. Justice League Incarnate, number three of five, by Williamson, Culver, Olivetti, Varela, Nock, Jannon, Bresnan, and Hi-Fi. The miniseries continues to throw DC history at the wall to see what sticks. We did want to mention part of the story, though. President Superman and Dr. Multiverse find themselves on Earth-33, which stands in for our own universe, in the DCU. This means no superheroes, no powers. They decide the only way to escape is to get word back to the other heroes. And the only way to do that? Write a comic book. There's a great reference to how they have money to live, including the ridiculous scheme from Superman 3, where Richard Pryor collects partial pennies from an accounting system. The duo managed to find a contact at DC Comics who quickly accepts all of this and begins working with them on their comic. Like everything in the book, there is a precedent for this. In the late 60s, Flash found himself on Earth Prime, a.k.a. Earth-33, and worked with DC editor Julius Schwartz to build a cosmic treadmill and return home. In the 70s, DC writer Kerry Bates wrote stories about how he could plot himself over to Earth-1 and then affect events there with his typewriter. And, of course, Grant Morrison's Multiversity is all about this concept. Back to the story... During the writing process, DC tells them that Darkseid needs to win in the story to get people to read it. They're very hesitant, as they're worried this will actually affect the DCU. Fortunately, Thomas Wayne and Avery Flash managed to communicate with them at that moment. 
Unfortunately, the DC editor is actually Darkseid in disguise, trapped on Earth-33 as well. They all go back to the DCU and the battle. During the holidays, three Comic Sentry items arrived. Two were Kickstarters, while one I gave to Mark. Cupid's Arrow Volume 1 from Rocketship Entertainment and Love and Capes in the Time of COVID by Miracle Press by Tom Zaylor. I am a big fan of Tom Zaylor since picking up the first Love and Capes collection at his show oh so many years ago. Mark and I have been picking up in various form his other works over the years. There is Long Distance, about a couple who meet in an airport and start a relationship. Warning Label, a cute story about a girl who's cursed to have her dates know the worst things about her. And Time and Vine, about time traveling with wine. Zaylor has recently been publishing, one page at a time, via Patreon, the newest collection of Love and Capes. The latest was just released in book form via Kickstarter and in comic shops and focuses on the first year of the COVID epidemic. How do superheroes deal with something that can't be punched? The story follows Mark, the Crusader, and Abby, bookstore owner and wife of superhero, as they deal with the small and large consequences of dealing with a pandemic, distant family, small children, and life in general. It's a great addition to the whole world of Love and Capes and continues the family story well. Zaylor is now putting out pages of Love and Capes Home for the Holidays on Patreon with an anticipated Kickstarter for a paper compilation at a later date. Cupid's Arrow, another Kickstarter project, started out on Webtoons. In this book, two Cupids have to unite couples listed in the Book of Love. Because the power of arrows is waning for some reason, they can't simply shoot the couples with Cupid arrows and sometimes have to get into the narrative by appearing in the lives of their subjects and pushing them towards each other. Once they're properly placed, zing, they get hit with Cupid's arrows. Rick and Laura, the two main Cupids in this book, have a will-they-or-won't-they vibe going on, very reminiscent of Moonlighting. This is Volume 1, giving hope to the idea that maybe there will eventually be a Volume 2, probably via Patreon and Kickstarter. I have to say, this would be a great comic to give someone who likes Hallmark movies. The Spectacular Sisterhood of Superwomen by Hope Nicholson. This is the latest in a series of books spotlighting comic book characters, putting them in context with both overall and comic book history. However, the books up to this point were more derogatory, with titles such as The League of Regrettable Superheroes, The League of Regrettable Supervillains, The League of Regrettable Sidekicks that made fun of the characters. This book is far more laudatory, with special attention to characters outside of traditional sexuality. It's broken out by decade going back to the 30s, with a page or two explaining each character and their continuity, along with some artwork and recommendations on how to read more about it. There are obscure characters like Olga Mesmer, Starflag Undercover Girl, Manhattan Minnie of Delta <laughs> Poo, Sue and Sally Smith Flying Nurses, Survival Woman, Martha Washington, The Saucy Mermaid, and Bold Riley. There's also an icon for each decade, with usual suspects Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Bad Girl, Ms. Marvel, Carol Danvers included, as well as Little Lulu, Silk Spectre, Witchblade, Ramona Flowers, and Ms. Marvel, Kamala Khan. The stereotypes and politically incorrect messages are discussed and either accepted or denied. If you're into comic history, it's a great read and may lead you into more obscure corners of comic literature. Thanks for the gift, Mindy. 
Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.